0: Welcome to the Lawn and Garden podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Erschebeck. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage.
1: Well, good morning. This is the KGUS-KERM Lawn and Garden Program. I'm Jeff Edwards. And uh, in studio with us today is uh, Dr. Jerry Urshabek. And we also have with us Caitlin Youngquist. And uh, we're going to be talking about soils today. So good morning, all.
2: Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Caitlin.
1: Uh, Interesting times, right? So um, what we're going to do is we'll uh, take a break and listen to our sponsors. And we'll be back in a little bit.
0: You are listening to the Lawn and Garden podcast, presented by University of Wyoming Extension, extending the land grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at wyoextension.org.
1: Okay, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards. This is the KGU's K E R M Lawn and Garden program with uh, Jerry Urshebek and Caitlin Youngquist. And uh, we'll be talking about soils and composting and all sorts of good things. So, Caitlin, I'm going to turn the floor over to you. What would you like to talk about today?
3: Well, it's starting to warm up. Well, we got a little snow the other day, but it's starting to warm up again, which gets us all thinking about gardening, growing some of our own food, especially considering the upheaval in the, in the food system right now. And so um, get, getting everyone out in the garden and, and getting some seeds in the ground and taking advantage of the spring weather is what we're all thinking about here.
1: Have your uh, have your peas germinated?
3: Uh, no, not yet. We planted them and then it snowed and froze really hard. So I'm not <laughs> sure. We're going to go check on them. <laughs> um, and we're supposed to get some more cold weather again. So if they if they, if we planted them deep enough, they might just stay cozy down there until it warms up. So we okay, have a, so neat, a little cold frame we built with some straw bales and some old windows. So we're going to plant some spinach in that here pretty soon.
1: Okay. Well, it it does sound like it is supposed to snow or something again this weekend, unfortunately. (laughs) So uh, let's start with um, new gardeners. Uh, I'm guessing that there are going to be uh, more people this year thinking about gardening. And uh, uh, what are some of the first steps that they should probably do in order to prepare a small garden space or if they... uh, you know, even if they're thinking about doing some type of gardening in containers, what, what what's some of the first things they should be thinking about?
3: That's a good question. I think you made a good point that it's, it's good to start small, especially if you're a new gardener. Um, start small so that it stays really fun and manageable so you don't get halfway through the summer and regret your choices. <laughs> so keeping it small and planting the things you know that you like to eat Then including a few flowers in there for fun. Um, Container gardens are a really great way to go. And you can buy some potting soil at the hardware store and some small containers and grow a few things on your patio or on your porch or your deck. That can work really well. You can also use straw bales. Um, Straw bale gardening or or hay bales can be a really uh, affordable and simple way to start a garden at home. Time out.
1: uh, Hold on. Let me interrupt you. Uh, If you're doing straw bale gardening or hay bale gardening, how do you... How do you prep those? You can't just plant right into them, right?
3: Yeah, so basically what you're doing is you're composting them for a couple of weeks in in place. And so uh, straw is very high in carbon and it needs a nitrogen source. So you add some nitrogen fertilizer, some lawn fertilizer and some water for several, for a couple of weeks. Um, It'll get hot, it'll start to compost, it'll get hot. You'll notice you put your hand inside the bale, it starts to get really hot. And then as it cools off again, Then you're ready to transplant or plant into the straw bales and there are a lot of great resources if you look it up on the there's some good youtube videos um and there's some good extension bulletins from washington state university on the topic as well and it's a great way to start and then at the end of the season you have some nicely composted straw mulch to put back over your garden garden as well
2: so uh if i'm sorry jerry i i see you i was i was yeah i was just gonna (laughs) pop in there so caitlin with you have the straw bale do you put this you just put them in a, a, any particular pattern or you just kind of go ahead and plant right into the straw yeah. bale? Do you, you put yeah. any soil into the straw bale as well? You, you
3: can put a little bit of potting soil or compost in there because here's what happens. You put them on end and so the strings are on the side and the, the ends are stick this, okay. this, this straw sticking up. And as it starts to compost and break down it gets a little bit loose and so then when you transplant into it you can fill those holes a little bit with some potting soil or compost and that helps. It does wonders for potatoes, do really well in it, tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, um, some of the smaller squash plants can do okay. Um, You can plant some with seeds as well if you if you put some um, potting soil or compost on the top if you manage it well. Uh, But it works great for transplants and you can put them, I've seen people do just two uh, straw bales. I've seen people do whole gardens of probably 20 straw bales lined up in a garden. So it really it depends on what you want, and it's a great opportunity. It's a great option for um, a patio who wants something small, or maybe you have a really have some really really poor soil, it's going to take you a few years to build up your soil, and you can start with this method until you until you build up your soil. Um, it works really well with alfalfa as well. That's what we've done in the garden, in the community garden. And if you use alfalfa bales, you don't need to add fertilizer. If you use straw bales, you do need to add a nitrogen fertilizer source.
1: So, could you use cornstalk bales?
3: Probably. I have never done that. I would like someone to try it and report back because I've never tried cornstalk bales. I don't know if I've also never tried a big bale. I've always used small ones, and I think it'd be fun to try a really big bale, and you could plant all on the side of it and on the top of it. And
1: And need a ladder to get on top of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of interesting. Um, uh, We have quite a few. uh, uh, corn stalk bales around here. Um, I don't know if anybody does them in small bales, but uh, we could probably find a large bale <laughs> and uh, play around really with it a little human. bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Jerry,
2: uh, other thoughts about container gardening that you might have? Well, uh, at one of our local feed stores, they have a metal Uh, You know, they used to use uh, metal containers for those uh, cow licks. Nutrient licks, yep. And so now they're all into plastic. Well, the plastic ones make a really good gardening area. But also those old ones do too because they have a rotted out metal bottom. You don't have to put any holes in it for for drainage. So you fill it up with your favorite soils. Soils. And... uh, Good choice of (laughs) words. Thank you so much. And... (laughs) And then you know, go to town on it. Okay. Uh, so my so wife Caitlin, wanted. To,
1: go ahead. Sorry, Caitlin. You mentioned um, using or purchasing potting soil. Is it okay to just use your own native soil if you happen to have some things that are, you know, you might have a hole that you dug or a pile that's around? Is it okay mm-hmm. to use your native soil?
3: It it is, but w- what tends to happen is it gets very very dense when you try and put it in a container. It loses all of its structure, especially if you have any clay in your soil at all. It gets very dense and heavy and doesn't drain well and the plants struggle in it a little bit. So if you're going to, if you have some decent soil at your place and you want to mix it, I would encourage you to mix it at least half and half with with a compost or a, or something organic, uh, maybe a compost or a potting mix type, or even 25% native soil and 75% organic materials. Um, experiment a little bit and find a, a mix that seems light and fluffy that the plants are going to do well. In. And as it gets wet and they see these containers and it gets wet and there's no structure to it anymore once you've dug it out of the soil and it just gets dense and, and the plants struggle. That's been my experience with it.
1: Okay, all right. Well, uh, I guess we need to, to uh, transfer some worms with it when you use your native yeah. soil too, right? Yeah, too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, or, or stop by a store and pick up some bait and drop them in there. Yeah.
3: yeah. And the nice thing about using a potting soil is you can use it for more than one year. So you don't need to throw it, unless you've had a disease issue and while your plants have been healthy, you can use it again the next year um, or, or mix up, mix a little compost into it to kind of add a, add a little boost of nutrients. So it's something that you can keep using for a long time.
2: Okay. And some people say that they should should bake their soil to make it sterile. Is that if
3: a, you're if you're um going to be starting seedlings in the greenhouse or like in a, a large quantity of seedlings, um, that's when you might become an issue with having sterile soil. But again, right. if you're buying a, a seed starting mix, like a a, a bat, small bag of it at the at the garden center, then you should be fine with that. But if you're making your own compost and you're concerned about starting things, sterilizing it, would be a good idea.
1: You bet. Hmm. Solar so a uh, solarization process would be enough to take care of that.
3: I think so. Or people do it in their oven. Sometimes you can just if you need a small amount to start some seeds, you can put it in your oven. I would have to look it up. I don't know off the top of my head what temperature you need it to get to. Okay.
1: Uh, In a previous um, previous life, I did a project where I compared uh, black uh, plastic to clear plastic, and clear plastic heated up a whole lot faster and uh, longer than black plastic did. Did um, you
3: find that it made some seeds germinate and then killed the seed, like weed seeds and then killed them? Is that what you're using it for?
1: Yeah. So it it actually forced them to germinate early and then we were able to kill them out. So um,
2: it it heated up the soil.
3: Yeah.
2: Caitlin, I like your idea about the first time gardeners because uh, starting small, because I remember some of our first gardens, it became very weedy and overweedy and we just go okay we throw our hands up in the air and go we're done i'm done and so it's it's one of those deals that you have to just stay after those weeds
3: it's true and this is where i get to talk about my other favorite subject which is mulch and so keeping the soil covered both to protect the soil to feed the soil and to slow down your weeds and that's where your old straw bales come in or leaves um, some clean compost you can even use cardboard and newspaper um, grass clippings, all these make really great mulch materials, and that's doing, like I said, several things. It's feeding the soil, uh, it's keeping them, it's it's conserving moisture, particularly in our really arid climate. It's great to conserve moisture, and it's really going to slow down your weed pressure.
2: Now, with lawn clippings, now we've talked about the one pound of nitrogen if you compost or or uh, uh, mulch your lawn that approximately one pound goes back in through the season, so if you're using lawn clippings, is that going to give you some a little bit of nitrogen for your soils?
3: It is, yeah, it's going to give you nitrogen and, and a lot of other things too. It's going to give you your some, a little bit of phosphorus and potassium and a lot of micronutrients over time, um, so it is going to provide some nutrients for the soil for sure. And so, again, weed control.
1: So Caitlin, would uh, uh, just uh, you mentioned cardboard and I was thinking uh, a container garden-y, a garden on my patio, uh, would it be a good idea to, um, uh, I guess, cut a circular disc that matched the size of your uh, container garden out of cardboard and then poked holes through it where you planted? Or, you know, w- would that be a really good idea to, to uh, eliminate weeds or reduce weeds? Or, or yeah, are you causing... Are you think, causing yourself more problems?
3: I think you could try it. The thing of course it's going to break down as it gets wet. Sure. Um, and so it's a short-term biodegradable weed barrier. If you're doing a container garden and you have pretty clean soil I mean container gardens are very easy to manage weeds in. Sure. Right so that may not be as much of an issue. Now I think I'm thinking about this beginner gardener thing and I guess I consider myself a little bit of a beginner gardener as well as I'm learning and experimenting in the community garden. But here's how I think I would approach it. I think I, if I was really starting from scratch, I'd never garden much before. I think what I would do is start on in a very small space with some containers, some recycled containers like Jerry. What you mentioned, um, what we have here in Borland is is a Pepsi factory, and so we can get these big barrels, plastic barrels you can cut in half, and they kind of are the same size. You know, you, those kinds of things, recycled containers, old water troughs, or some straw bales, and start real small with that. And then this summer, what I would do is I would start. Amending the soil in my garden bed for next year, and so next year, pick a part of my yard that I was going to convert to a garden. Start amending that soil, dig the grass out, put in some compost, leaves, all you know, manure. Keep it, keep it really wet. Let it break down, and then by this fall or next spring, it will be ready to plant and be really beautiful, weed-free soil. That's I think how I would approach it, kind of step stepwise. And what you can do then with your cardboard is you can use the the sheet mulching or the lasagna gardening method. And again, there are a lot of resources out there if a person wants to do some looking on this. Um, and you just use the, the, either cardboard or, or thick layers of newspaper, even on top of living grass, existing grass, you can do it or you can dig the grass out first. Lay that down as a biodegradable weed barrier and then start layering it, kind of compost in place. So maybe manure, uh, leaves, grass clippings, maybe some old straw, um, pine needles, sawdust, coffee grounds, some food scraps, you know, vegetable scraps. Layer it so you're kind of doing your greens and browns, layering it up several inches, and keep it really wet all summer, or moist, and then let it compost in place and break down. And then come this fall or next spring, you'll have a really beautiful patch.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. and then so this is gonna, this is getting back to Jerry's favorite activity. You do, <laughs> do you do you go in and do your recreational rototilling at any point in time, or you tell Jerry no. you tell Jerry to just put that <laughs> rototiller away.
3: You could sell that rototiller, Jerry, and you need to buy something like uh, paper towels and toilet paper and cleaner or whatever you have to buy these days.
2: You know, that's a great idea, except except there's some romantic emotional contacts with that rototiller as well. When we got married, my wife, my friend said, You know, Jerry, you need to buy your wife a string of pearls. And I said, Okay, Myrna, so this is what my friends say I need to do. She says, you know, I'd really rather have a tiller. So, <laughs> so she says, I'm not so much a pearl girl, but I, I really like to get in the dirt. So uh, so there's an emotional component with that. I can't get rid of the tiller yet. And by the way, next weekend so is the tilling uh, event. So I've been putting bagged manure, bagged compost, and I have a lawn... Mowing guy that's giving me the first cuttings the cleanup off of the lawns so I know it's not enough and I did a haney soil test and I want to talk about that a little bit, but I'm getting ready to do my my tilling now I did watch and I looked at some of your methods of uh, using the giant pitchfork or rake uh, the broad, the, fork. The broad, broad fork. fork and how you kind of uh, dig down, stomp, and then pull, you aren't really even lifting the soil. I think you're just breaking it up. Is that correct?
3: Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of breaking it up, especially you know, if you have a little bit of clay in your soil, or you have a hard pan, especially from years of tilling, um, or you're just trying to get, you know, maybe you're starting a new garden and things are a little compacted. It really helps break that up and get some of that water and air moving through the soil. And the plant. Now,
2: roots. at the end of last year, I had a guy with a small tractor, uh, a garden tractor, and I had procured a shank and he had a shank. So he had a longer shank than I did. And he says, you know, Jerry, I, uh, I don't know. It doesn't feel like I'm pulling anything fairly hard. I, I, I agree with that rototiller pan, the same as a plow pan or a hard pan. Uh, I can see that. I can visualize that. I can understand that quite well. Uh, so I had him shank my garden. So I thought, well, that's that's a step forward.
3: Yeah. You know, it depends on, the, <laughs> or it depends backwards. on what kind of soil you have too. Your tendency to get a, a sheer uh till layer there, plow pan, or compaction if you have a lot of clay in your soil versus if you have a very sandy soil.
2: I'm very so sandy.
3: So that's so your your sandy soil is much less likely to have compaction issues, although it does not hold water and nutrients as well, but it's like adding a lot of organic matter, which m- helps balance that out.
2: So let's uh, let's talk about my soil test. It said on the back side, it said uh, the I have a high pH of eight, the respiration is low, and the soil health score is low. I need a cover crop to feed micronutrients and increase my soil life. They recommended 50% legumes and 50% grass. So do you have when a favorite this, cover crop?
3: Well, well, back up a minute, when was this test taken?
2: It was taken uh, November 10th of last year.
3: I wonder too, if you redid it during the peak season or you know, where, when it's warmer, you would have a higher respiration because that's somewhat dependent on temperature a little bit. Because it's micro, so respiration is just looking at the amount of carbon dioxide that comes out of your soil when it's heated up and add water and moisture, moisture and temperature. Um, because it just measures the amount of uh, bacterial microbial activity in your soil. They're just breathing, right? So I wonder if you did that when it was warmer, um, if you would see a little bit more microbial respiration if possible. Um, does it tell you how much organic matter, your percent organic matter?
2: Yes, it did. And, uh, and that would be
3: another interesting thing. I, you know, On the topic of soil tests, there are a lot of different types of soil tests. The most, um, I guess the typical lab test is mostly a chemistry analysis, and so it tells you nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, your micronutrients. It will also tell you typically your percent organic matter, uh, your pH, maybe some issues with salts, and that's a really good baseline. And then for gardeners really, um, probably the two most important things to look at for most people is going to be your salts. to determine if you have excessive salts that are causing problems in your garden, and to look at the organic matter and with the hope that your organic matter is increasing over time, and that's a really positive indicator.
2: So it says percent LOI? Yeah.
3: 0.0. Point 0.0? Oh. Point oh. No, 2.0. Oh, 2.0. Oh. LOI is loss on ignition, which means they basically burn it off, and then they determine how much is there. Okay. Um. So 2% is not very high. And it's right. not much. And a lot of our farm fields here in the Warland area are 1% or sometimes even lower. Our native soils in general are pretty low. Same, and as, and same pretty low, as with Goshen County. Yeah. So, you know, if you can get up to three or four or 5% over the next few years, um, that would be really great. And you're on the right track with add. you have to add organic matter, right? It has to come from somewhere. So plant roots right. actually do a, are very important for putting carbon. So organic matter is about 50% carbon. So sometimes we use that term interchangeably. So for putting carbon or organic matter into the soil, plant roots, cover crops are real for that, and as are um as is, of course, compost, manure, leaves, grass clippings, that sort of thing—anything that was alive at some point.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have a favorite cover crop? Then, if if they're yeah, asking. I mean, it
3: really depends on what you what you want. Um, it depends on what your goals are. So the thing with the legume as most people probably are familiar with this. The legumes fix nitrogen, so they're so peas and beans and clovers, alfalfa—they take nitrogen out of the air and they put it into the soil. They fix it with their, with the bacteria in their roots. And so that's a, um, a benefit of legumes. Rye is a really great garden cover crop. It's called an allelopathic, which means it's, um, it secretes compounds from its roots that, kill, uh, that um, make it harder for weeds to grow, basically. So that's very, very competitive. Oh, hey, how cool. Yeah, so rye is a very common one. It is a great cover crop. Um, uh, vetch is very um, a, sort of a, a, a great legume that you could use to put a lot of nitrogen and biomass there into the soil. The challenge with cover crops is that if you do not manage them well, they become weeds. And so the, the, the important thing is to terminate them in some way before they go to seed. And one way is to till them into the soil or mow them and till them in. And then the other way is um, planting something in the fall later in, or late in the summer that will kill, that will freeze and die in the winter. And then and then it kind of covers the soil, protects the soil, and then comes spring you can plant into
1: that right? I, I did notice you said tillage Caitlin
3: I did I know,
1: I know. Yeah. So, like, here's the thing about
3: tillage I am, I am on this mission to get rid of all the road tillers in Washkee County but so the, here's the thing about tillage it's a it's a tool then and there's a there's a high cost to it and I think a person does well to understand the benefits and the costs and I think in most cases um, the costs outweigh the benefits, but there are times for sure when incorporating large quantities of organic matter or a cover crop can be a useful way to use it. And I think what's important is to think about doing it. Um, I, maybe 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 it's a way to think about like an herbicide. So herbicides are very useful tools. Pesticides are very useful tools, but they need to be used with precision and fully understanding the implications of your management strategies, right? So yep. it's, it's not just a free-for-all or something you just do for fun and i think that maybe rototilling we can look at it in the same way it can be a very useful tool when used with precision and used for a very specific job at a specific time
2: i see your eyes burning right into my soul not not (laughs) recreational jerry
1: (laughs) so so hey uh on that note we're about halfway through our program let's take a uh, short commercial break and um, allow a word from our sponsors and we'll be back in a bit
0: University of Wyoming Extension events will not be held in person through May 15, 2020. Our educators are hard at work planning virtual education and activities. We will continue with much of our programming digitally on our website and official Facebook pages. See what we're up to this week at wyoextension.org or visit your county Facebook page do you have questions about the coronavirus or COVID-19? Go to uwyo.cnp.org/coronavirus/uw-extension to find reliable information, community resources, and recipes using the food in your pantry. Looking for the best way to keep up with all the news from University of Wyoming Extension, the College of Agriculture, and Wyoming Ag Experiment Stations? The UWAGnews.com website features real-time education, research and extension events, and feature stories from across the state. Bookmark UWAGnews.com today and subscribe to our monthly email newsletter. UWAGnews.com, growing people, knowledge, and communities.
1: So uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, This is Jeff Edwards. This is the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Uh, in studio today I have Jerry Irshabek with me and uh, Caitlin Youngquist, who is our soil specialist from uh, uh, Worland area for the University of Wyoming. And uh, we're just talking about uh, what beginner gardeners can do to uh, uh, get themselves going and and uh, just start growing things for themselves. And um, uh, I think I think Caitlin would like to spend a little time talking about, Mulch, one of her favorite things. So,
3: <laughs> yes, so. please keep your soil covered. <laughs> um, protect your soil. Uh, think about tucking it in under a little blanket in the fall and the winter, and then in the spring planting into your planting into your garden area, and then tucking it in again under a blanket of mulch to keep the moisture in and to keep the soil cool, and give all the microbes in the soil and the worms something to eat, um, and to slow the weeds down. So. so Yeah, mulch, you you can use to mulch, leaves, grass clippings, as long as you're not using a weed and feed product or have recently sprayed your lawn um, using um, grass clippings, leaves, uh, sawdust, wood chips, pine needles, you can even use some uh, cardboard and newspaper, any of these products. If they're really high in carbon, like a wood chips or um, sawdust, those types of products don't incorporate them into the soil, but they work, they do really well as a mulch on the surface of the soil.
1: Yeah. Um, So you mentioned pine needles. Uh, I've had several questions recently. If you are using pine needle mulch, is it going to change, significantly change the pH of the soil? Uh, What are your thoughts on that?
3: I don't know what the research says on, on that. Uh, I don't know how much you'd have to use to change the pH, but and if it did, uh, we have very alkaline soils here and pine needles would tend to, um, if, if they change it at all, might tend to make it more acidic. So I think it'd be a good thing. But again, I don't know what the research says on that. Do you know, Jeff?
1: Yeah. So um, uh, some of the stuff that I've uh, come across or the information that I've come across is that it... it won't change the pH of the soil significantly. Uh, and then, as you said, Caitlin, because our pH is so high, uh, eventually, though, it, it'll, it'll normalize again. It'll, it, it, won't, no. it won't stay around. So uh, if people have concerns about that, I, I think it's minimal in our state. And uh, like you mentioned, so if you are able to reduce the pH a little bit more, you're allowing things like nitrogen, or excuse me, uh, iron, to become more available to those plants, and so things that are heavy nitrogen users won't yellow as significant, uh, as quickly. Uh, they'll perform a little bit better. Those types of things.
3: It's really true. Like you mentioned, Jeff, we do have alkaline soils, it means high pH soils, um, high seven up to eight, or even higher sometimes. And what that means is that there are certain nutrients that the plants. Uh, it's hard for the plants to take up out of the soil. Iron um, is one of them. Phosphorus is another one of them. And the other neat thing about adding lots of organic matter to your soil, whether that's through mulch or through um, compost or manure, is that you add or- organic forms of some of those nutrients and you um, increase the bio- microbial, biological activity of the soil, both of which make some of those hard to access nutrients more available to the plants. And by reducing your soil disturbance, you also um, those nutrients more available to the plants that would be otherwise hard for them to access in our alkaline soils.
2: Okay. So Caitlin would you going back to that cover crop would you plant back into something that had been killed over winter would you just plant mm-hmm. back into it? You and certainly not, could and not till up the soil or not even disturb the soil.
3: Yeah, you certainly could, and I think this comes down to finding a method that works for you and experimenting a little bit on your own place based on your own soil type, your own gardening system, and the crops you want to plant. And so, um, you know, if you were to plant, so oats is a good one, for example. Oats will will not typically survive our winters, but it gives some good biomass, so you can plant that late in the summer into the fall, grow up a little bit, and then it would winter kill, and maybe uh, something else in there with it. And then Winterfields lies lays down, you have kind of a, a mulch that's map that's left on the soil. And then depending on if you're, you know, how you're managing that, you could transplant into that uh, where those oats have, have, have laid down, or if you need to, you know, till it to get, or till a strip of it, perhaps, to get a planting area. I think it really depends on how you want to manage, and you'll have to find a system that works well for you. But there, I think there's really no right answer on that one. Um, okay. And again, when you're transplanting, you know, say you start your tomatoes and peppers earlier in the season and you're going to transplant them into your garden. You actually have a lot more, um, they are a lot more accepting of maybe r- rougher, rougher gar- soil bed, uh, rougher beds or more lumpy soil or, or thicker mulch or different things like that than when you're starting very small seeds, right? So it may be that in certain parts of your garden you're able to leave the soil a little less disturbed and in others you need to disturb a small area to get a really smooth, good seed soil contact. You bet. So that there's going to be some of that as well.
2: So when you're composting, would you use the lasagna method as well for composting?
3: You certainly can. So there's different ways to do it. The thing about compost is that, as those who have done a little composting know, you need water, food for the microbes, and air. And so when you um, do a lasagna method, for example, what we use um, that works pretty well is we make kind of these wire hoops, almost like a barrel-type shape, out of woven wire fencing and we have those lined up along the fence, and then we layer into those some grass clippings and leaves. And it's a very slow method, and we add some water, but it's tidy and it's an easy way to do it. You can even put some vegetable scraps in there, coffee grounds, whatever you have, and then add some water over time. And then every once in a while you kind of lift those up and shake them out and refill them and get some air back into that compost. And so because we only turn it and add air maybe every few weeks or month or so, it's a slow process. If a person wanted to make compost a lot faster, They could get their materials mixed up, add water, and turn it every few days to introduce that oxygen and get it turned really quickly, get a a product out a lot faster. So you can do it any number of ways. Um, The lasagna method, for sure, the layering method is a a great way to start. It's simple um, and it it works. It just might be a little slower.
2: Yeah. Have you ever used wheat as a cover crop?
3: I have not used wheat as a cover crop. um, but it would it, it would work. I would just make sure you don't have a, have, well it depends on how you want to do it. So if you use a winter wheat, it's you're going to plant it late in the summer and then it's going to overwinter and it's not going to die and then you'll have it growing in the spring. So, so what some people do on a larger scale is you maybe split your garden into two or three or four sections and you and you fallow one section or you'll put a cover crop or leave it not plant in that section for a year and you just maybe just grow a cover crop and then the next year you move that section over and, and Grow a cover crop in a different section so that's one way to do it for people who have maybe a larger garden or are managing it that way for those of us who maybe have a smaller space and don't want to give up some of our production for a cover crop then we have to grow cover crops on uh, sort of around our, our food crops right or our primary crops and so that can be done with relay cropping or intercropping in some ways you can you, people do that too where they'll plant um, you know some cover crop seeds right underneath the the vegetable crops that are growing and then when those crops get harvested the cover crops can kind of grow up underneath them where they'll plant them in the, in the walkways or maybe you plant an early spring crop maybe you're planting radish and spinach and lettuce right now and then those come out and maybe you plant a, a short season summer cover crop and then maybe you go back in the fall and plant your fall crops so there's a lot of ways i mean it can be there are a lot of ways a person can manage it
1: yeah So I've used uh, both oats and wheat as cover crops. Um, And of course, the main thing that we, that me personally want to avoid is uh, those things going to seed. So um, before I, oats, of course, would not overwinter. Um, So that's part of the strategy. If they looked like they were getting ready to head out, I would mow them. Uh, And then the same thing with wheat, I would mow them before I Incorporated them, uh, however, means that was. <laughs> <laughs> Some people spray their wheat and, yep. and kill it. Right, uh, and I've also used soybeans as a cover crop too. And how'd that do? I think it worked fairly well. Um, so I would plant, um, I would plant soybeans in the spring as I normally would, and then as they. Matured and just before they set their pods, I would go out and I would either mow them or direct rototill them in. But I usually I would mow them first uh, to try to keep them from regrowing uh, if I didn't get them fully incorporated. But they it worked fairly well.
3: And there being being a warm season would not they would not overwinter. And the other one you might think about is um, buckwheat really great for pollinators, also um, helps really pull a lot of phosphorus out of the soil and make it more available to the plants, and does not handle frost, and so it also would not overwinter.
1: So buckwheat, is buckwheat a grass, is buckwheat a legume? What is buckwheat?
3: Buckwheat would be a broadleaf, not legume. Right. It's not a grass, it's not a grain, it's not a true grain, it's a flower, it's got a flower on it. We do eat the seeds, can't eat, you know, people make You can eat the seeds, and it's got a pretty white flower on it. So, broadleaf category, I guess.
1: Okay. Yeah, I'm.
3: Oh, scientist, I don't know.
1: (laughs) I've I've seen buckwheat advertised as a a cover crop, but I I'm not familiar with it. I've never I've never used it.
3: Yeah, kind of tall, but it has broad. It has a yeah. It's not a grain.
1: But it's a good pollinator attractor, right?
3: Yeah, and it's really good for pulling phosphorus out of the soil. For some reason, whatever is going on there, it pulls phosphorus out and releases it, makes it more available to the other plants.
1: Hmm. So uh, you would want to use buckwheat prior to planting tomatoes, right?
3: Perhaps. Now, that would be a good experience. Maybe someone's done that. Yes. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: so We're
1: planted good? around
3: your tomatoes. Pardon me? we planted around your tomatoes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I thought of planting that white Dutch clover around my tomatoes. Yeah. Yes, Jerry and so, I have talked about New Zealand
1: uh, white clover. Uh, Caitlin, are you familiar with New Zealand white clover?
3: No, is that one that should that won't overwinter?
1: No, it will overwinter. It um, and it will get to be about three feet tall if you don't uh, mow mm-hmm. it or manage it. But it, uh, it can be planted in between spaces in your garden, and it, it would make a
2: really nice cover crop. So then, all you do is we use the weed eater to to calm it down. Right. Sure. Groom it. Right. Yeah, grooming. <laughs>
3: <Perfect>. <laughs> I, you know, I'd love to see people getting more creative with um, kind of diversity—a certain level of diversity and messiness in the garden. Um, in terms of plants that gr- growing together, maybe you have some cover crops, kind of like your clover growing under your tomatoes, to various things like this. Some flowers planted in among. You know, there are a few weeds that we have to work really hard to stay ahead of, bindweed, Canada thistle. A few of those things that once they get started just are so hard to get rid of and be, be very vigilant with those. But a lot of other things, you know, it's really not hard to manage if you can keep ahead of it. And, and mulching can do a huge, um, make a huge difference in terms of keeping ahead of our, our, our those really small weeds that have really pretty weak seedlings anyway to come up through that. And then also when you reduce your tillage, you're, you're not stirring up a lot of the seed bank that's down there anyway. And you're not leaving that soil bare where they just are the first things to germinate. And the other thing we do is use a drip line system. And so then you're only watering the plants that are right in a row, instead of having a sprinkler system where you're watering everything, including all the weeds, right? And we're so dry here in the Whirland area that without irrigation, not much grows. A few weeds, but not very much. Yeah. So that's the other things to think about.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the same for us. Um, in our garden, we use uh, drip irrigation lines right over the top of the crop, and then we're not irrigating in between the rows, and it's really easy to manage the weeds yeah. in between time. So yeah. um, that, that works out really well for, you. Uh, for us. If, we're, if it's not being watered, it
2: won't
3: grow. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And so the grasses for cover crop, did we cover that?
3: So, there are, so the grasses, I would put the grains in the same category as, those, as grasses, so oats or wheat, right? Um, you can use annual ryegrass, which is another one that's a, kind of a thick, doesn't get a tall like a grain, but it's got a thick coverage and it's highly competitive. Those are some good ones. Um, there, are a, there are a lot of different options for cover crops. Um, and a lot of them are edible. Really, a cover crop is anything you grow to build the soil that you're not necessarily going to... Um, going to eat but sometimes you know even if you just have some leftover seed at the end of the season and you have some bare soil throw all that seed out there and let it grow and if it grows up and some of it you know covers the soil provides some carbon feeds the microbes maybe it dies back and then next spring you've at least kept your soil covered all winter so you can get pretty creative with it i think
2: well that sounds exciting i'm i'm getting more excited about gardening the weather is going nicely wait a minute i
1: just because next weekend is your rototiller weekend, <laughs> your annual rototiller weekend, doesn't mean that you couldn't have started gardening already. What, what have you been doing?
2: Well, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I planted a an elephant ear in the garden, in the garage anyway, and uh, I've planted a few cannas in the garage. Okay. So I've, I've got a few things started, but nothing really too much.
1: And and Caitlin, other than your peas, have you planted?
3: We've things? got some peas and radish and kale in the ground. We'll see what happens. So we have some spinach that's really short. We're going to transplant that out underneath the cold frame and kind of try. The community garden is really a giant laboratory for Caitlin's <laughs> experiments.
0: <laughs> so,
3: with the side benefit of giving away a couple thousand pounds of food every year to the community. Um, anyway, so and I would encourage anybody listening, if you're in Warland, please get a hold of us at the Extension Office and come down and visit our community garden. Um, share, come check out what we're doing, share some ideas. I would encourage folks to visit. Um, so we will, have, we will do a little bit of transplanting, I think, and we have this cold frame. And, and, and we'll we
1: will be, uh, you will have a geodesic dome before the end of the summer, we right?
3: We will in June. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So really uh, about that. we will be doing a geodesic dome workhouse, a uh, workshop misspeaking again, um, at the uh, Worland Community Garden
2: in June. So Jeff, yeah. is that where you actually go and, and build a geodesic dome? Yeah, so um, my intention is to
1: make it kind of a three-day workshop and show everybody from start to finish what we need to do in order to uh, get all the parts and pieces prepped and then build the whole thing. And if that doesn't work out, I'll be ready to build it, just show up and build it.
3: <laughs> Sounds good, we're excited. The other thing I'd like to put another pitch in while we're talking about classes, I have an online um, garden class for beginners on April 9th at seven o'clock. Okay. We using Zoom. And if people are interested, I would, they can call the extension office here, 347-3431 uh, to get the information on that. We're, we're actually doing a series, we'll do beginning gardening and we'll do composting and then we'll do grow, growing cut flowers.
1: So I, I hate to share the bad news, but by the time this airs, that will be over. Oh,
3: okay. We'll edit that out. <laughs> well, we'll have more coming up. We'll have a compost class then.
1: Okay. Well, what's, what, see, so we're airing on Friday. Okay. Okay. So what's the next thing coming up that you would like to talk about?
3: Uh, so we have a compost class coming up on Thursday.
1: On Thursday, what day?
3: Uh, whatever that Thursday. You better edit this, Jeff. Hold on.
1: <laughs> Ryan's the editor. He'll take care of all of that. That's next Thursday, right?
3: Yes, that would be Thursday, April 16th at 7 p.m. on. It'll be a virtual class. And anybody who'd like to participate, please call the office here at 347-3431.
1: Okay, perfect. Fantastic. Uh, so, Jerry, I'm going to give you a little time. You know, you're getting ready. Are we having great pumpkin contest this year?
2: Yes, we are. You know, in the midst of all this craziness, we need to have some normalcy. So giant pumpkins and Caitlin I think that you have a couple of people around your area as well that wait a minute into, before
1: before you start giant pumpkins are not normal. I'm just gonna throw that out. now, now wait I'm a sorry. minute <laughs> <laughs> this you year Merlin grow found,
3: giant pumpkins are not normal here
2: <laughs> <laughs> now Merlin found a, a white it's like a howden although no not not a howden it's like a uh so it's it's like a um, a white pumpkin, and those are called Ghost something, something something something. <laughs> Luna. L- Lo- Luna. Luna. Oh, a Luna. Okay. A Luna, white Luna. Sure. And so um, we're editing, editing, editing. So it's going to be a giant. <laughs> show king and it's a white one and uh it can grow up to a thousand pounds so we're hopeful we're hopeful that that will come in and do real well so oh and then we have a french one marquise de Providence squash so they're just fun stuff but your french
1: your french is about as good as mine jerry
2: <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> So anyway, we're having a we're we're meeting uh, with the giant pumpkin committee and uh, hammering out the details and uh, seeing how we're going to proceed forward. But everyone should start thinking about getting uh, giant pumpkin seed here in the near future, because uh, if you put it into the soil and germinate it and come up to the first cotyledons and the first true leaves, you can tell which way your vine is gonna grow because it goes opposite of the first cotyledon that goes to one side. And so you can identify which way your vine is gonna grow and that's kind of important if you're placing your pumpkin. Interesting. Then we need to think about amending your soil and getting that, that pumpkin ready to grow and maybe some cold framing so that we can protect that seed. So that's really why you're interested in cover crops, isn't it? You,
1: you want to have the best soil for this giant
2: pumpkin, don't you? And maybe plant inside of that cover crop as a protection from the, from the (laughs) the wind, from the wind. The the wind and, and possibly if you put a, if you put a uh, tarp over the top, then you're not smothering the actual pumpkin itself. You're just smothering the cover crop and, well who cares about the cover crop yeah right we well, really care about idea. that pumpkin but the you can cari- kind of grow
3: like a wall of wheat or oats around it kind
2: of absolutely huh, so i'm thinking cool. i'm thinking that 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 might be one of those things and jeff had showed me a, another cover crop it was called something like saffron but it wasn't saffron it's uh, in birds and blooms or backyards and gardens
1: oh now you put me on the spot um
2: Sand Was that it? And it, and it has a real nice pink flower. Yeah. Sand point. Sand point. Sand Oh, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd, it spell it, funny...
1: but I'd spell it for you, but it has a funny spelling. So I can't <laughs> think
2: of, I would spell it incorrectly on the air. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. And anyway, so, uh, I was thinking about doing some of those as well for the bloom and, you know, bringing in pollinators and that sort of thing, because as we all know, pumpkins need their own pollination. And the bees will come around and pollinate for us, or you can self-pollinate, but generally what you want to do is, is let nature take its course and go from there. Have somebody else do the job for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, provide water pollination and, and uh, good growing conditions and you should develop a, a fairly good pumpkin. Okay. So we're still going to have the contest and uh, I think I will will relay the date at that time. But sure. But we all just need to elevate our ideas to obtaining a pumpkin seed. All right, sounds good.
1: Um, I think that we've uh, probably hit the max for our time today. Want to thank everybody for joining us and participating. Thank you, Caitlin, for uh, talking with us about soils and and mulching and beginner gardening. We appreciate it immensely. And uh, thank
3: thank you, you, always a pleasure.
1: Okay, fantastic. We're just just happy to have a guest and hope that uh, everybody uh, enjoys what we have to provide today. So Jerry, thank you very much. We'll uh, see you next week. We'll be in touch uh, scheduling the next program. Thank you very much. Bye now. Thanks a lot.
0: You've been listening to Lawn and Garden with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Urshabek, presented by KGOS and KERM Radio in Torrington and by University of Wyoming Extension, growing people, knowledge, and communities.